Welcome to the Highly Sensitive Healing Podcast, where we meet the joys and challenges of our sensitivity with open minds and hearts to awaken our best highly sensitive selves. Welcome friends, and today we're concluding our chat with Amber and Britta about parenting as an HSP. They continue to generously and openly share their experiences, along with some thoughts for new HSP parents, as well as those HSPs who are thinking of becoming parents. So let's hear more from them. You both have a a little bit of a different dynamic. Britta, you're, um, you're married, so you're in a partnership as parenting, so parenting as a couple. And Amber, you're a single mom. Can you just talk a little bit about your kind of different situations and and how you handle that as HSPs, like as partnering as parents, and then also as a single parent? So I, um, I'll start a little bit. Um, so as a single parent, you know, there's a little bit of, um, a different dynamic, but there's also, it's kind of an ant. It's a, there's the single parenting component of it. And you're still parenting with the other parent, ideally, um, hopefully they're still around and alive and hopefully, you know, so there, yeah. I know not everybody will be in that, but typically most single parents I know are still, um, you know, working with another parent, um, which can be challenging because if you're not together anymore, there's probably a reason for it. And so trying to balance stuff out with somebody who you might not see eye to eye with, um, is kind of its own dynamic. Um, but like when my son's with me and it's, you know, kind of I'm on, um, and, um, trying to just get through life sometimes <laughs> as a single parent, um, really it's just, I've had to just, it's trial, a lot of trial and error, right. Figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Um, and like I've said, being creative and stuff, I don't have somebody else here that I can tap out on a hard night. Um, so if he's not going to bed or, he's really having a lot of meltdowns and I'm overwhelmed. There's nobody in my house where I can just be like, Hey, I need five minutes. Can you, you know, so I've had to get creative with things like setting him up with something that he enjoys doing or, um, you know, going for a walk and he's getting older. And so it's getting easier, but a big part of it is just having conversations with him and telling him things like, like at night bedtime was awful forever. I don't, I don't know if this is an HSP kid thing or not, but this kid has never slept well. (laughs) Um, and he still, still doesn't and and fights bedtime, but it's getting better because I've figured out, okay, what are the things he really likes? So he, this kid loves watching TV and movies and he likes to like act it out. So he's not just sitting and watching TV. He's watching something and pretending to be a ninja and running around the house, you know? So, um, So we have a lot of rules around things like screen time, which is if you don't go to bed, if you don't cooperate at bedtime, you don't get TV. Like, and so we, we work on these things. And so we have a bedtime routine and, you know, he knows he's not supposed to get up. And there are certain conditions where I give a little bit of leeway, but in general, if he's getting up out of bed, there's no TV the next day. And it's really hard as an HSP parent to hold that the next day. Cause that's actually more harmful to me. Um, but it, I have found that he actually goes down easier now because he knows I'm going to stick to that. And he wants this thing. So I have a bit of a system with him for accountability. And then when he's still struggling, we also have conversations around, you know, 
um, kind of like what Britta was talking about with, with her kids when she said, you know, I don't handle the noise. Well, you know, I talk with him. I'm like, you know, um, we'll talk about our brains or I'll say, you know, when you go to bed, mama gets ready for the next day. I make sure you have everything you need for school. I make sure I have the house ready for the next day. And then I have to do some things to take care of myself because if I don't take care of myself, I can't be a very good mom. And then I get yelly and I'm not very fun and I don't have much energy and he gets all of that. And um, so we just have, have the conversations and, the biggest thing is, you know, I just find times when I need to take space and I'll tell him that too, you know, like if he's really upset, like you can go, why don't you go in your room for a few minutes and, and I have a quiet space set up for him in there and, um, and you can kind of calm down and handle your emotions. And, and I'm going to take a break because I have too many emotions right now and I can't respond to you the way I want to. And so we do things like that. And as he gets older, it's getting easier. Um, but it is really tricky not being able to, to kind of tap out. Um, I also plan ahead for things like if I'm having a workshop, for example, at night, you know, I know he's not going to stay in bed very well. Most likely it's always when I have something really important to do is the (laughs) nights that he decides it's the night to stay up all night. And so I'll have somebody come over. Um, Usually, usually I'll pay a sitter or somebody or, or um, like a local teenager you know, to come just, just to keep him company, put him back in bed, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure he's not loud. And so I just plan on stuff like that. I've also, you know, I've had days where I know I'm having, I'm having a hard day before he comes home. And so I've set it up where it's like, I'll get a sitter to come over for an hour or two when I know it's a hard time with him and I don't have the capacity anymore. And I will go out and sit by the lake, you know, and go get in nature a little bit to take care of myself. And, um, you know, it comes back to that guilt, you know, not feeling guilty about doing that because I'm sacrificing some of my time with him. But for me to show up and be a good mom and the mom I want to be, sometimes you just have to do that stuff. Um, so that's, that's part of it. And then um, just boundaries. I mean, I think everything comes down to self-care and boundaries and trying our best to create a support system. Um, that support system is outside of our control. So, cause we can't control other people. So you can do your best to build it and ask for help. And sometimes people show up and sometimes they don't and um, just keep trying and, and build that support um, because it really is tricky. I always come back to that place of, you know, we're not meant to do this alone and our society's set up very individualistic. So you know, it used to be that we lived in communities where people would help with all the kids. Right. And so it's just a very different dynamic. And so when things get really hard, I just have to remember, okay, this isn't, this isn't how we're meant to be as humans, but it is the the reality. And then, you know, having that self-compassion and, and what do I need to take care of myself? What does he need? Where's our common ground? And just kind of negotiate, like, I I don't want to say that I negotiate with him because it's not quite the right word, but I give him options with firm boundaries. So I'm boundaried in what I need. And I offer him, you can do this or you can do this, right? But you can't do this in the shared space because it's not fair to everybody else. You know, I um, really come back to giving him choice, holding to my boundaries and self-care. And then when I can, finding support systems that can help me. 
hope that makes sense. I know it makes a, a lot of, no, no, no. It makes a lot of sense. And I think, well, with everything, both of you were saying, I know people are going to find value, but I think your, your perspective and your experience sharing that from the situation that you're in Amber is really important for, for people to hear that, you know, not only are we necessarily not meant to parent that way, right. That we used to have communities for support, but that a lot of people, you know, are alone with their kids for extended period of time. And, and how do you handle that? Right. When you don't have somebody in the same space that can, like you said, give you that break or just take over for a little bit so you can kind of catch your breath. Yeah. And I want to mention too, that it's not just single parents when it comes to like the whole, we're not supposed to do it alone. Even if you have two parents in a household that, you know, have reasonable schedules to be able to balance everything, it is still pretty impossible. The expectations that are on parents these days Um, and all the expectations and the lack of community support. And um, that's one thing I get really passionate about is, you know, you constantly hear society saying self-care, self-care. And it's like, we really need community care. We don't have that anymore. And when I say community care, I mean like the community of people working together, you know, with kids and with different, there's just such a different dynamic or you had families that were, closer together and would help, you know, and not everybody has family, you know, I don't have family that, that shows up to help. So it's just really tricky, but I wanted to name that it's that dynamic is not just for single parents. I know so many parents who are, you know, with their child's, uh, with the other parent and, and they're pretty well off as far as work and schedule and, and stuff like that, but it's still an impossible situation the way the world is right now. So, um, yeah. And maybe you can talk about that now, Britta, since you are in a, in a partnership parenting home situation and share your experience. You don't live in an area where you have, you live away from your, from your family as well. Yes. 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 I think that's, that's really a big difference for, for our situation. Um, so I can, <laughs> I almost, I can almost say like, I'm, I'm definitely not a single parent. Um, but there have been periods, uh, where I've had to take care of the kids for the entire week when my, my husband was away traveling, for example. And, and even that is so, it's off to you, Amber, for doing it 24-7, <laughs> 365 days a year. Um, but it's tough. And and I know when my husband's at home and, and we get to share the responsibility and um, when I'm not feeling well, he can take over and, and the other way around, that, that makes a huge difference, that you're not in it alone. There's always someone who's got your back, who who's there to to make dinner if, if, if you're not feeling well, or, you know, someone to just cover your, your, your team, you're doing this together. Um, and then other times when you're alone, uh, okay, this is not so easy. And especially, I think my husband and I are a very good team. Um, but we also had to become a very good team to take care of our kids because we're away from family and our entire support network that we had when we were living back in Belgium, there is no one here to 
come over when when I have a work commitment or I have to be somewhere and my husband's gone. We don't have that option. We can hire a sitter, but we don't really know a lot of people around here. Um, and it's it's a fairly remote where we live. So it's not easy to, to have a teenager come to our house. Um, so we just, we just manage it ourselves without any external help, um, which is not always easy. And sometimes we get, we get grumpy, like, Oh my God. Yeah. If, if, if my husband's not able to do it, then it comes down to me and the other way around. If, if I'm engaged, then he has to make it work. And then sometimes that's not always fun because there we go again with the unexpected things that land on our laps or on our plates. Um, and then you just have to deal with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, having a partner uh, definitely makes a huge difference because you can share the responsibility. And there's most of the times there's there's this other person who can who can just take over or cover. Um, and I know my my husband is not HSP, but he's very respectful of me being an HSP. So he knows like, okay, mommy's having a bit of a moment here. So she needs some peace and quiet and then he'll take the kids outside or he'll keep them occupied or um he's 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 amazing in 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 supporting me that way he also knows that i need plenty of sleep um probably the most amount of hours of sleep of anyone in our house um but he makes that possible so that's that's really nice um to be able to have that on the other side, there have been moments where he's he's traveling and I'm alone with the kids. And sometimes things just go easier because it's just a one parent. They're, they're not getting different, um, I don't know, different vibes. It's sometimes I noticed that when he was traveling more a few years ago that they would listen to me uh, better than when we were both around. It was, it was, it was strange how that worked. It was like, ah, how is this possible? So you have mom and dad here and then it, it gets all messed up. And then when I'm just with them alone, it seems to be so much easier to, yeah, to make them listen and to, to have it all work together. Yeah. Work together. Like, like this well-oiled machine. I don't know. It was, it's funny how that works sometimes. They're so yeah. smart. I, I wanted to just say like when there are a couple, a couple of adults, I've been in situa- situations with my son where there's a couple of adults and their dynamics do change because they'll start to be like, oh, well, maybe I know this one will say no. And this one will say yes. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like They are quick and they start to play some of it. So, so when you have another adult in the house, you know, all, all the time or a lot of the time, it totally changes. Yeah. The oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and they know, and they're like, either they, they go for the person who responds first to like mom, dad, and then whoever responds first is the winner <laughs> and gets to get <laughs> like, get me a drink. Can I have another drink? Can I be a snack? Um, or it's like, come to ask me, can I have, I don't know, something. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then da, 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 tiptoes to dad's office. Dad, can I have? And he's like, what did mom say? She's, 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it's like this. They're they're trying. They're trying. Can't blame them. But yeah, it's funny how that works with the dynamics. Britta made me think of something else too that I wanted to mention because it's something that I know of homes when they have two adults in at the same time. But also I think it's something that if you're by yourself, you can do um, when you're by yourself and you don't have another adult right there. Sometimes the hard moments are really heavy, but if you have another adult there, it's not as hard because you can find some humor in the ridiculous thing that the kid is doing. Whereas when you're by yourself, you're like, you're just stressed. You're like, I just want you to stay in bed or I just want you to, you know, but when there's another adult, you can kind of, you can respond the way you need to. And then when they're out of sight, you can kind of laugh about it. And so um, I think finding humor is a great way at, for anybody, but especially as HSPs to lighten it. And so if, if you are on your own, like I have a single mom friend that she and I will talk and sometimes we can, you know, um, get some of that out. At least either you get the validation that you need or find a way that you can share the experience with somebody in a way that lightens it. So it's not so doesn't weigh so much on you. Yeah. I agree. Humor is is definitely one of my go-tos. Also with the kids, I try to, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I I just can be my goofy self sometimes and they love it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's also one of the things that I noticed about myself is that I, I like to fool around and I want to make them happy because I, I don't remember me having this like worry-free childhood. And that's one of my big goals that I want my kids to have an amazing childhood where they have, and it's almost, I know it's not possible and they know they have to know the real, the real world, but still that they can look back on their childhood and think like, whoa, those, that time was great. I had so much fun. I could play. I had fun with my parents. And and that's what, what, what I tried to add to almost every day is like bring in some, something light, something funny, something to make them smile. And, and, it makes me feel better. It makes them feel better. And it just, it just makes everything so much lighter and more enjoyable. Yeah. And little kid giggles are the best. Oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so Brittany, you were talking about humor and also sleep and Amber, you mentioned, you know, maybe hiring, um, a sitter so you can go and take that hour or whatever it is to go sit by the lake to kind of recharge. So as far as self-care goes, can you just expand a little bit, maybe give anybody who's listening to just kind of your top, like two or three things, like your go-tos that you use for self-care, either uh, physically or emotionally, just kind of the, something that, that listeners can just really kind of like grab onto that maybe they could use today when they're listening that, that they're, that they're feeling stressed and, and they don't know what to do as an, as an HSP parent. I, I'm thinking of something that, that, um, that really uh, comes to mind right now. And that is, it's, it's, it's not really something, mm, an activity that you can do to take care of yourself, but also uh, sometimes I feel like people, and, and it reminds me of what Amber was talking about early, earlier, sorry, when, when you hear the shoulds, it's like, oh, I should like to bake cookies with my kids, for example, <laughs> or I should like to take my kids out to the playground. And then I don't like to cook. 
And I certainly don't like to cook with kids because it's a mess. And I, I don't like them touching food. And I, I'm very particular about food and, and hygiene and stuff. So that for me is a very, very triggering activity. So of course, I, I should probably be enjoying cooking with my kids or baking cookies or whatever, but I'm not. And I think taking care of yourself or a self-care thing to do is just don't bake cookies with your kids if it's not something that you enjoy. So make sure when you do things with your kids that it is something that you both, or in our case, the three of you can enjoy and that it it's not an activity that you know will push certain buttons and will get you mental by the, by the time the cookies are done. <laughs> Because that's not really fun for anyone. And it, it's, it's, that's just, that's just not the way to go in, in, in my mind. So what I like to do, I like to color. I like to craft. So when I do something with my kids, I do something artsy or creative and, and, and we do that together. And that's fun for me and it's fun for them. And it's all the more fun for all of us together. Um, and then we have some music in the background and all, all of us are having fun where <laughs> I've tried it <laughs> baking the cookies. I'm like, Oh my God. And then they're arguing like, I want to hold the mixer. <laughs> I want to do this. <laughs> and I'm like, no, don't touch the mixer. So it's just one big mess. And that's just, so, so staying, so staying true to yourself so you can be fully present. Yes. And just, and just not feel, not feeling guilty again. Uh, there we go again about um, being true to yourself and, and speaking the truth. It's if you don't like cooking, like I do. Well, okay. And so, all the other Facebook, all the other Facebook moms are, are baking cookies and, and yeah, posting oh, pictures. Oh, so and, so this is fun. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, the thought. No, <laughs> or even other things. So much, Britta. <laughs> or even other things. I don't like going to uh, like these theme parks. Uh, I don't like the crowds. I don't like theme parks. I don't like crazy uh, rides where you have to go into. Nope. So I don't do that with my kids because I, I don't like that. And maybe they would, but I want to make sure that it's something that we can all enjoy. Or I make sure that. If I go, I don't have to go in any rides and I can just stay on the side and make pictures or make a video <laughs> and have the time of my life while they're screaming their lungs out. But I'm not going into those rides. So you always have to make sure that it's enjoyable for everyone. That's my point. That's one of the biggest things that you can do to take care of yourself in the day-to-day -day things that you do with your kids. Well, and it's so true because it backfires right when we do the things that we oh don't want to do and it's not like it ends up not being fun for them either because we're not oh having no. fun and we're triggered and it's just a whole thing so yes yes yeah that's great Britta what kind of things do you do for self-care that you think might be helpful to other people who are who are struggling that they could maybe use even even today yeah so a big one for me is um music I'm like music has always been a big big part of my life and I grew up dancing. So any sort of music, music and movement, sometimes it's using music with my son. Like we'll have a dance party or something. And cause he enjoys music as well. 
But if I'm really overwhelmed, I have a specific playlist that has music that's very soothing to my nervous system. So I'll get them set up. I'll put my earbuds in. I'll go someplace quiet and I'll stretch or something and just do some deep breathing. And that really calms my nervous system and helps me out tons. Um, Creative, anything creative to just kind of purge emotions or um, tap into something is, is big for me. Um, my biggest go-to is taking a bath. Um, if, if he's awake and it's a dire self-care need, um, I'll take a shower because he won't come in. He, well, he'll still come in, but, um, he's less likely to come and interrupt a shower versus like a quiet bath. It's like, they know when you're, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? It's too quiet yeah. here. <laughs> so, so if it's like, you know, sometimes it'll be a shower if he's up. Um, and then it's also just not, doesn't take as much time. Um, but oftentimes several times a week after I get him to bed and I know he's out for the night, I will take a very nice bath. And so I, you know, I have, I have a nice soaker tub. I'm lucky to have that. And I'll, I'll light candles. So that way the light isn't too bright. You know, it's not the electricity lights, it's, it's candlelight, which is better for, for my nervous system. And, um, and it, it depends. Sometimes it's literally all that I have the capacity for is to light the candles and fill the tub. And that's good. But then when I am more charged and I'm doing more of a preventative self-care than, um, reactive self-care, you know, I'll make my own bath salts to put in and I'll, be very like spiritual and intentional around what I'm putting in, um, in the bath with me. And then, like I said, sometimes it's literally just fill it up and get in and just exhale. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that for me has just been the biggest lifesaver. Well, that's all a, that's all really good, practical, helpful advice. I think I might have another one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it simple. Like things that you can apply tonight when you put them to bed. Like for me, I know sleep is a very big thing. And there are nights where I'm feeling so out of energy and and like completely drained from the day that I just go to bed a little after they go to bed. And they're like getting older. So their, their bedtime is, is getting a little later than, than, than it was a couple of years ago. But sometimes I go to bed by nine or nine 30 and then it, I, I do some reading, maybe snuggle up in bed, like the, the covers hmm, nice and warm. And then, and then I go to bed and before 10, 10 PM, I'm, I'm also in, uh, <laughs> in the land of dreams. And it's, it, it makes me feel a lot better in the morning. It just, it just, a way to recharge. I know sleeping is for me a really big one to, to stay energized. So I want to talk a little bit about empathy and as HSPs, we typically more often than not have a lot of empathy. So I was wondering how does your empathy create a bond with your kids? And you don't have to speak to this either, but if you have experience in this, do you feel it's a different type of bond, not better or worse, um, but just different than with parents who are non-HSPs, that that element of empathy as a parent? What do you think, Amber? Oh, I don't know. I have a hard time imagining what it's like for other, I don't want to speak for other parents and- um, Yeah, yeah. And I don't have- um, 
I don't have the the uh, family system that to draw from from my own past that. Yeah, just speaking a, from a your own comparison. experience. Yeah, just your but own from, experience. Yeah, from my experience, um, you know, I think in the moment when things are really heated and overstimulated in a household, right? Like it's it's hard. You know, sometimes people think that because we're highly sensitive, it means uh, we're always empathetic and, and sensitive. And, and, and when we're overstimulated, that can be a really hard place to tap into. Um, and so that's why I've learned to kind of take a step away first. But once the, the noise and the emotions settle a little bit, the ability to go in and just sit down with him, you know, and he'll sit in my lap and, and we'll talk about it and I'll apologize if I need to apologize or, or we'll have some sort of discussion on what happened or what could we do differently next time or problem solving. Um, that feels really powerful to me. And I don't know what non-HSPs obviously experience with that, but I know my ability to connect with him in that way is just like second nature. It's not really something I try to do. In fact, most of the time after those situations, I kind of leave his room and I'm like, wow, who was that that was in there? <laughs> you know, having that conversation because <laughs> it's not, it just kind of, oftentimes it's a topic where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to say on this, <laughs> you know, and it just kind of comes out and I'm like, oh, I, that was great. And it's just from operating from that place of intuition and uh, and empathy. Um, one thing that I think another side of that coin that I know I experience is, um, because we have those strong mirror neurons as HSPs that, um, when we're interacting with other people, I have to be really cognizant of our interactions with that. Right. So I, I'm fairly certain he's also HSP. So we can, we can kind of, um, affect each other in that way without, and it could be good, right. Or it could be, he's having a really bad day. And now I'm feeling all the stuff he's feeling, but I'm supposed to be the parent showing up in a calm way. And so trying to detach from that sometimes can be a little tricky. And then also recognizing that sometimes when he's having a really hard time, um, I look at how I'm doing and he's actually picking up on my stuff. Right. So finding that balance of, of tending to our own energies and our own things and not absorbing other people's. I think that's something to bring awareness to and just be cognizant of. Cause once I'm cognizant of it, it's like, Oh, I can have a lot more empathy and compassion. Cause I'm like, he's having a hard day. Cause I'm, I'm in this state. It's not his fault. He's actually, he's a kid. He's picking up on these things. Right. And, um, or the other way around, like, okay, I see what's going on with him. I need to energetically detach, not emotionally, but just detach in a way that I'm not feeling it as him and I can show up for him. Um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, for sure it does. Yeah, I think so. What do you think, Britta? Yeah, I I, I, I do resonate with, with what you were saying, Amber, and, and I agree. It's, um, it's sometimes uh, mirroring what they do and then you can reflect on oh but what's going on with me actually oh yeah okay <laughs> so that's where that coming where where that's coming from um and then i think i think like parents in general have this kind of eye for what's going on with their kids i don't i don't know if it's 
if that if that's even more so for HSP parents, I'm I'm not sure. I can't compare. Um, but I know for me, I I can definitely tell when something's off with my kids, even if they I don't know. It's just like these very little things that you can you can notice. The subtleties. Very subtle things that that I can notice that, that tell me like mm, something something's off. There's there's something going on here. Um and especially with my son, I feel like my son might also be HSP. He's very, very sensitive. And and I know when, when for example, I'm crying, which happens, um, well, both of my kids, actually, when, when, when they see me crying, they will start crying. It's like, oh, mommy. And they want to comfort me. And, they, and they're like very empathetic. And me from my side, when I, when I see them crying, I feel it. Oh, throughout my entire body. And it's like, oh my God, I want to help this kid. I, I want to make the crying stop. You know, you don't want to, you want to, you don't want to see your kids suffer. Um, and, and they, they also have it, but I think my son is, is even more, I think he might really be HSP. Um, and where I feel my HSP-ness or my empathy comes in with him as showing him how to handle with these emotions because he's he's not even 10 he's turning 10 this year but sometimes he doesn't know what's going on and it's scary it can be really scary there was this one event where he was in school a couple years ago and he was in a class that was a classroom was really hot and there were 32 students inside of that classroom and all of a sudden i got a call from the school and and they said like Jasper's not feeling well. Can you please come and pick him up? And I was like, okay, this is true. Yeah, of course, I'll be there. Um, and and he came out of that room and he said, I, I, I didn't feel well. I wasn't feeling well. I, he, he was scared. He was, he was, he felt like he was going to die. He told me he was six back then. And I was like, oh my God. And and um, I remember the people in the school telling me like, okay, you, you need to get him checked was like he couldn't breathe he, he was like um how do you say that um he felt like hyperventilating couldn't couldn't catch his breath his hands were cold his lips were blue and i was like this kid is he there's nothing well there's nothing wrong he was well what i thought because i recognized what he was going through he was having a panic attack inside of that classroom as a six-year-old child and i was like oh my god i know what this is because i've lived it and and I took him to the doctor just to make sure that everything was okay. And yeah, they didn't find anything serious. Nothing was really going on. They did give him like this puff thing for asthma things, but I'm like, you're you're putting like medicine into this kid. Well, I don't think he needs it, but okay, I'm not a doctor, so whatever. But after that, we I talked to him and I I we talked about the whole thing and he talked to me about how he felt and how scared he was and he, that he thought he was going to die. And I, I told him, yeah, I know what that feels like, but when you do this, these are a couple of things that you might do. Maybe you can tell the teacher, maybe you can step out, maybe go outside, get some fresh air, go, in, go to the bathroom, put, put some like cold water on your wrists or, you know, or count in your head and do some breathing and just, really aware of 
what he feels. And I, I know because I am a sensitive person and I've been through all of those things. So it's, I see it as one of my tasks as his mother to teach him, not that it's wrong to feel that way or that it's abnormal or that there's something wrong with him, not at all, but rather how can he make sure that when I'm not around, how can he handle this? How can he help himself in those kinds of situations? And that's one of the biggest missions I feel is for me as, as a parent to make sure that they have the tools to cope as a sensitive person or not as a sensitive person, but especially for him, as I feel very strongly that he might be an HSP too, that everything that I had to figure out on my own, that I can help him uh, as of an early age to deal with, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great um, experience that you can share too, that, that, that he had that experience and that you were able to communicate with him about what was going on instead of just, you know, a lot of parents, not all parents, but some, you know, might just dismiss it as, you know, something else, as opposed to you being able to, to recognize it and and feel that experience with him and talk him through it. Yeah. And it's, it's more than one occasion. Sometimes it's not as, 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 as severe as, as what, what happened then, but he, yeah, I can, I can just recognize so many traits of myself coming back in him. And I'm like, Oh my God, how is this even possible? I'm, I was in the beginning when, when we had the kids, I was like, okay, I, I, I want to hide this from my kids because I don't want them to be this way. Because I thought back then, like, I'm not normal. There's something wrong with me. So I don't want my kids to be not normal. So I need to shield them from, from this side of me, you know, but as I learned more about myself and, and about being a sensitive person, I'm like, no, this is, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing wrong with me. And there's definitely not something that needs to be fixed. And neither is it with my, with my son or with my daughter, but especially with my son, he's fine just the way he is. He just needs to find the ways, strategies, techniques that help him cope and still live a rich life. Um, That's a wonderful story, Britta. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I guess I wanted to just highlight uh, for HSPs, one of our skills is the subtlety, like what the changes that we know, we notice and the, um, things we pick up on that maybe other people typically miss. And, and that's what was going on in the situation. And, and Britta did an awesome job advocating um, for her son. But, you know, I guess I just want to mention that to HSPs who might be struggling. Like when we know that something's off or something's wrong, it can be really easy to be gaslit out of that knowing by professionals because we think, oh, you're a doctor, you know more than I do about this or that or whatever. But really trust that inner knowing because we have such a deep bond with our children. I think biologically everybody does. And then um, if it's not biological, there's also a cultivated bond there too. And so when you know, when you know that something's off, um, trust that I, I, that's been a a lesson I've had to, to really learn and practice anchoring into, 
Um, yeah, that's a good one. That's, yeah. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. What advice, after all, everything that we've talked about, what advice would you give to new HSP parents? Let's start with you, Britta. Do you have any advice or things that you wish you had known? Um, yeah, I think um, just be realistic and and try to prepare as much as you can, but realize that probably when the baby arrives, you will feel like, oh my God, I could have never prepared for this. And, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's something new. It's something that's going to change your life. Um, and there's so many good things about having kids. And there are also parts about having kids that are not so fun, but that's, that's just with everything, you know, um, just don't put too much pressure on yourself and, and give yourself some space and, and, and when, when the baby goes to sleep, sleep, if, if that means that the laundry doesn't get done or that, that the dishes stays a little bit longer on the counter, then so be it. You know, it's, it's, I know from my first pregnancy that I tried to push myself and when the baby was asleep, so it was like, oh, okay, good. So now I've got a couple of hours to do this and that and and it was exhausting because when the baby's awake, you don't get to sleep either. And the baby doesn't always sleep as well as you would want to. So there's so many pieces that you can control. Just be, be kind to yourself and, and allow that first period of being a new parent to be a trial period. You're getting the hang of it. The baby's new to being human and out there. So it's, it's, everyone's just adjusting and it takes time. So I, I would just say, and, and don't listen to all the shoulds and people with the good advice, just listen to yourself and what, and, and your instincts and you'll be fine. That's great advice, Britta. How about you, Amber? Yeah, that every, I second everything that Britta <laughs> just said. Um, and the first thing I was going to say was give yourself grace. Um, you're learning, um, you're attuning to, this new little person and, um, everything is new. Your whole world has changed. So, you know, giving yourself grace to figure out how, how you do things like your whole household dynamic has changed. So, um, really being gentle with yourself, um, I think is probably the most important. And if you are in a hard phase, cause they do go through phases where they don't sleep and, you know, the different, like the sleep regressions. Oh gosh, I remember those. So so much. Um, it will pass. It eventually, it will not stay like that forever. Um, so just remind yourself of that. And then just, um, like, uh, more of a practical tip as far as like navigating life with a new baby that I would recommend is, um, especially if you have a baby that was like mine, that will not sleep unless he was touching me. Um, that made it very challenging, especially as an HSP to wanting my space, right? My biggest, biggest lifesaver was baby wearing. And so I had, um, a carrier when he was really little, he'd be in the front, but it was one that as soon as he was big enough, I could put him on my back. I also had a sling and being able to do that. He could nap while I would work while I would chop, you know, I'd have him on my back and when he was big enough and I could chop veggies, you know, to cook dinner or do the dishes or, um, one time we had a storm and I didn't have anybody and he was 
crying and needed to nurse. And so I had him in the carrier nursing and I had to get the generator going outside. <laughs> so I was outside <laughs> being um, Wonder Woman, I guess you could say, <laughs> getting this generator going with a baby in the carrier. But that carrier saved me so much. I know not all kids like that, but if you have a kid who just wants to be on you all the time, it allowed me to still be me and do things that I needed to do. I could use my sewing machine, you know, and he would be sleeping on my back. That just lifesaver. And it's worth, they're expensive. They can be expensive, but it's worth the uh, investment in a good one that's versatile and comfortable. So that's my biggest tip. That's huge. Yeah. That's so helpful. Uh, Anything, anything practical, right. That we can put into use. um, That's the kind of advice that, that I always love the most. And how about, yeah, yeah, for sure. When you find things that work with them, or even if it doesn't work and you've tried it once, make a list or something, keep a, a little notebook or a list somewhere where you can go back because they change so frequently. So my son would have something that he liked. And then a few weeks later, he wouldn't like it. It wouldn't work. In the meantime, I'd be sleep deprived and I'd forget about the fact that it worked a while ago. And then six months, nine months would go by and then I would remember it and try it again. And now it works again. (laughs) So they're always changing. So if you keep a list, it can be really helpful, especially when you're sleep deprived and you're like, what can I do? This isn't working. I need something. You can go back to that list and try things, even if they didn't work before, because like I said, they do change so quickly where they will like it one minute and then they won't, and then they'll flip flop. So having, I didn't do that um, just to be completely honest, but in hindsight, I wish I had, because having a little menu in those sleep deprived moments would have just been so helpful for me. Yeah. It's just something that you can go to, right? That so you so you don't have to start searching your memory for all kinds of new solutions. Yeah. When you're tired, you're, that part of your brain is not. Oh working. yes. <laughs> and you feel so defeated too. You know, you're just like, this is, you get stuck in that place. It's never going to, it's always, you think it's always going to be this way. There's nothing I can do, but um, there are always different things you can try and maybe it will, or maybe it won't. And it, it will eventually pass. Ooh. Eventually. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what, speaking of advice, what advice would you give to highly sensitive people who are thinking of having children and are thinking that it's, it's an, it's an idea they want to explore or, but they're just not sure, um, as an HSP, you know, with a, with a overly sensitive nervous system and all of that kind of, do you have any advice for HSPs who are thinking of, of having children, um, just from your own experience that you might want to share, Britta? Thinking, I think it, it, when you're considering it, really just think about what you want and um, don't let fear get in the way. If you really feel called to have children, there are ways to work around it. And sometimes it will be with ups and downs, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade my kids for anything in the world. Although sometimes I feel like I could, <laughs> but you know, it's it's they bring so much joy to my life, and and they they also teach me a lot about myself. It's 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 an enrichment for sure. And um, but just it it all depends on on you knowing yourself, and if you're up for that 
care and responsibility and um yeah i i I don't know it it really comes down to everyone knowing what's best for themselves and and if they're if they're up for it um i never really had doubts i always had this inner calling to be a mom although i i did have some fears around it but the the strong to be a mom always um outweighed the fear in my experience so it, it really just listen listen to to what your gut tells you and and what you feel called to do yeah right and and being called either way right to either have kids or not have kids just really sitting with that and and, and either way is fine on your own. Yeah, yeah exactly and i don't have kids so that's why it's so interesting for me to talk to to both of you as well um, so how about you, Amber, do you have any, um, advice or thoughts for HSPs who are thinking of having kids that you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I have a few things and I want to echo, uh, what Britta was saying about the gift of them, um, as well and how much they do teach you about yourself and the other things they bring into, um, into our lives. Like you both know my relationship with birds. And, uh, I talked about that last time with you, Tanya, and, that actually came from my son. I wasn't a bird person and he was a year and a half old and he was looking through a field guide and loved birds. He was drawn to birds. And then I learned about birds and then through that realized this connection. And so I would not have found that. And that is like one of the biggest parts of my spirituality. Now I would not have found that without my son. And so it's really interesting to see um, the things that come into our lives in ways we wouldn't expect them. So um yeah. And to not feel that whole thing about not being feeling pressured one way or the other, um, what what's right for you is right for you. And and I think we all know in our gut and in our heart, you know, which is true. I agree. Um, sometimes I it's agree. just hard to tease out the noise mm-hmm. from others. Um, my, my big, um, big piece of advice that I have would be, um, to just look at your life and your situation. So if, if you, I would start with, you know, do you, do you even want to have kids? And if you get to that place where you're like, yes, I know I do. Kind of the next question is, is it the right time? And looking at things like, um, Britta talked about this from a personal place, you know, how do you feel about your own sensitivity? Because if you're HSP, there's a good chance that your kids could also be HSP because it is a hereditary trait. And so if you don't feel good about yourself as an HSP, if you don't embrace your trait, that's going to come out in your parenting. And I know a lot of us as HSPs wish we had been understood more and not shamed for our trait as kids. And so if, if we're not at peace with that as parents, we can accidentally do that to our children. And then you're going to trigger all that guilt and stuff down the road somewhere. And so that would be one of my biggest pieces of advice would be, you know, being in a good place within yourself. So that way you don't accidentally transfer that to them. Um, and then some other like more logistical things are, you know, consider your support system um, because it's, you can do it without a support system. And I'm proof of that, but it is much harder. So um, the more of a support system you can have in place ahead of time, the better. Um, and then looking at um, your life, is there like current or upcoming changes, like really big changes going on? Um, because all of that's going to compound and then, um, consider your partner, you know, like what are their, I know so many parents who 
didn't have certain conversations until they were already expecting, right? Uh, conversations around religion, lifestyle, um, body, like the baby's body, you know, um, when people find out they're having a boy, whether or not to circumcise can, can become a big, um, issue between some parents and, and having a boy, I'm glad that was not an issue for us that we were on the same page, but, um, there's a lot of hot topics or discipline, right? Uh, how do you handle discipline? What, you know, what is your parenting style? What is it that is important to you and make sure that you and your partner are on the same page for those fundamental um, pieces that can be really polarizing, both for the sake of the child, but also the sake of your relationship and making sure it's a good fit. So, um, and those can be hard conversations to have, but they're so important. Yeah, better to have the hard conversations early, right? Than later. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you both so much for having this wonderful in-depth conversation. It's such a huge topic and um, I can't thank you both enough for, for trusting me and for trusting this forum to share your thoughts and your personal experiences. It, it really means a lot. And um, I'm very grateful that you're both generous with your time and your hearts and sharing it. So thank you both for being here. Welcome. It was my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. It's, it's always a pleasure to be here and, and to talk to, to both of you. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, in the links in the show notes, you'll find um, information about how to um, get in touch with Britta and Amber, both more about their work and you'll also find links to both of their previous podcasts where they were guests talking about their uh, entrepreneurial journeys. So thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next time. Amber and Britta are such wonderfully kind and generous people and their children are so fortunate to have them as parents. Once again, you'll find information about each of them and their work in the show notes. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends and leave a review. Leaving a review is a huge help in getting these healing messages out to more HSPs who may find them useful. It only takes a couple of minutes, and it's so appreciated. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of the good stuff, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for spending time with me here on the Highly Sensitive Healing Podcast. New episodes are released Wednesdays, and please feel free to reach out with any questions or comments. And never forget, we were given this highly sensitive life because we're strong enough to live it.